as we continue our series on how God is restoring broken things, uh, we see that through the words of the prophet, we see that as the Lord comes to his people. Um, at the end of chapter 9 that we were looking at uh, last week, you, you, you saw this picture of an advancing storm, you know, the, that dark cloud, that line of clouds that comes like an advancing army, and, and that was the picture that God was giving us. Uh, and so in one sense, uh, that storm is, is fearful. There's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's even tornadoes. Uh, and, uh, and as a, an approaching army, it would put God's enemies to, to flight. But that storm also brings rain, and it brings flourishing, and it brings blessing for God's people. And you see uh, both of those images here as we pick up in chapter 10. So there's some stuff here that's really uh, comforting uh, and, and really helpful, but there's also uh, some strong medicine here too, and so I just want to give you a, a heads up. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 here in chapter 10. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and He will give them showers of rain to everyone in the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets, and they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. Father, would you Please bless your word to us this morning. Uh, remind us that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, but we are also called to arms. We are called to be steeds. We are called to trust in Jesus uh, who goes before us. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we've got pretty much two stanzas here. The first one talks about how the Lord gives rain, and uh, he, he gives that rain because he's committed to our flourishing, as we saw last week. Uh, but we also see that the Lord cares about what happens to his flock. Uh, we are his sheep, uh, and he does not take lightly uh, when, he does not take it lightly when false shepherds mislead the, the sheep, when they mislead the flock. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at that as well. But let's first um, look at verse 1, this, this promise that God will give them showers of rain. He will give to everyone the vegetation and the field. Uh, this is the Lord who, who makes the storm clouds. Uh, right at the end of chapter 9, as you see there in verse 17, if you've got your Bibles open, there was this promise that God's Goodness is so great, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, new wine, the young women. The, the grain and the grapes all come from the Lord who gives those blessings and who is committed to our flourishing. And so this is a good thing because, um, you know, when you think about it, no matter how hard we work, 
no matter how hard the world works, uh, without the Lord sending the rain, all of that work really is in vain. You know, ancient cultures understood that. Uh, and, and today, even though you know, the farms are shrinking, uh, agrarian societies are, are you know, not as prominent as, as urban societies. Uh, that's still true today. Unless the Lord brings rain, uh, all of our work comes to nothing. It's kind of ironic, actually, right? I mean, we, we are in an age where we're so technical, we're, we're so advanced, and we're, we're doing things in space, and we're doing things at the, the micro level as well as the macro level. And yet, if the Lord stopped the rain, everything would come to a grinding halt. Not only out in the pastures and the farmlands, but in Silicon Valley and in the urban centers all over the world, everything would just come to a grinding halt without the rain. And so no matter how hard we work, you know, we're, we're depending on the Lord to give rain, uh, to give blessing, to send that rain. And, and Jesus says that, you know, no, I want you to love your enemies, I want you to pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven because he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Uh, he brings that rain regardless of whether or not people acknowledge it or not. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody's going to stand before the Lord and, and, and be held accountable for that. Did we give thanks and acknowledge with our lives the one who sends blessing? Uh, did we live for him? Is he the center of our attention? Because he's the one uh, that gives us rain. Uh, in verse 2, we get the Zechariah speaking about the Lord's, uh, who, who sends the rain and, and, and cares for his flock and is committed to our flourishing, he cares when the flock is misdirected. And we're told about how uh, when, his, when his people, when any people uh, start listening or looking to, to you know, man-made gods, household gods, little statues that are made fashioned by our own hands, um, when we start listening to household gods that utter nonsense, uh, we start paying attention to the, the diviners who see lies and tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Um, when we do that, the people wander like sheep, uh, and they are afflicted for lack of a good shepherd. Um, just That's a remarkable testimony about this pastor in Peru who's leaving a very comfortable, you know, job basically preaching a false gospel, giving uh, false comfort, empty consolation, uh, because he knows that that's not right. He doesn't want to be a false shepherd. Um, because when we look around us, we see, we see that this problem hasn't changed much, um, and there's still modern day uh, diviners and false shepherds uh, who are giving empty consolation and are seeing lies and passing those along, and they're everywhere. Uh, and we see them... Uh, <laughs> On the, on, the, on the bumper stickers of people's cars, uh, I'm not sure how aware people are, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I sort of want to give the benefit of the doubt that, that the coexist bumper sticker, that people just haven't really thought that through. But when, when you think about that, that bumper sticker and what it means, it's, uh, it's a lie and it's just, it, it's a false hope. It's a, it's a bad dream. Um, because really what that bumper sticker is saying is that the only real sin in this world is to claim any exclusive truth about God. All truths are relative. You can believe whatever you want, right? Isn't that kind of what that, that sticker represents? Isn't that what, kind of what that philosophy represents? Uh, and it's not true. Uh, because what's, what's really kind of crazy about 
that, if you, if you think it through, is that to say that the only real sin is to say that your view of God is exclusive is, is a little bit hypocritical, right? Because isn't that an exclusive claim about divinity? To, to say that you, you can't make any exclusive claims about divinity is to make an exclusive claim about divinity. And, and so that nonsense or lie or false dream or empty consolation is, is rampant. Um, and not to mention how this sort of empty consolation, you know, we're trying to make everybody feel good about whatever they believe, it ends up making God into sort of this divinity with a personality disorder with multiple personalities. He's kind of the schizophrenic God. <laughs> and you don't really know who to worship, what to worship, what's true. Um, instead, you know, Jeremiah 14 says this, are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Right? There's only one God that really brings the rain. Are there any false gods among the nations that can bring the rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Uh, and that was the whole um, contest on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the false prophets of Baal, right? Which God is the true God? And which one will demonstrate his... his um, his reality uh, by bringing the rain. Um, so one of the you know empty consolations today is this whole thing of just we can believe whatever we want about God and everybody's just going to coexist. Another con- empty consolation is just this whole doctrine of well it, just behave, uh, just just be good. Um, what you believe doesn't really matter. Sort of has some overlap with the whole coexist thing, but in this case the emphasis is on just being a good person uh, because. You know, this false dream says that only good people go to heaven, right? Um, but the problem with, with that is that if it's true that only good people go to heaven, then there's very, very few people in heaven. In fact, we can only really point to one good person who's in heaven, and that's Jesus. He's the only person who is good enough, right? If, if, if the only people who are in heaven are good people, what does that mean? What, where does that leave the rest of us? Where does that leave all of us who wrestle with our selfishness and our, our greed our arrogance, um, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, right? We like to, you know, sort of project this image that we're, we're good, but we know ourselves. And the people that know us well know some things about us that aren't so good. And so don't we need a bigger picture of heaven, a, a heaven that can actually be populated with people that aren't good? People who are, who are repenting of the places where we're not good. Uh, if you, if you want to have the heaven of the Bible, you need to realize that heaven is full of people who are not good. Uh, but who were repenting of their lack of goodness, um, who were repenting of falling short and of, of being sinners. So, you know, this, some of the empty consolation today is you can coexist, you can just, just be good. Um, and, and then a third sort of false dream, this, this, the, some of the lies of this world, uh, and this hits a little closer to home, is to just believe. So some want to tell you just coexist, some want to tell you, you know, just be good, and others want to tell you just believe. Just believe. That, that being good doesn't really matter. It's what you believe. You know, this is the empty consolation that has misdirected sheep for centuries. It's correctly affirming, on the one hand, like, um, like when Paul was preaching uh, to the Philippian jailer, uh, God had just miraculously delivered them from jail. Uh, and, and, um, and, and Paul tells the, the jailer, hey, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So on the one hand, those who say just believe are correct to say that 
you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But the problem is that they, they don't believe that statement because it conveniently omits the word Lord. It, it, it's sort of rephrasing it, rephrasing Paul to say, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Just believe that you're justified and you'll be saved. Just believe that he takes away your sins and you'll be saved without any thought for the fact that you can't be justified without also being sanctified. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. So this, this kind of uh, approach to how do I you know, get right with God, just believe. Yes, on the, on the one hand, we, we believe and we're justified by faith alone, but it doesn't stay alone. And yet that's where a lot of you know, Christians even find themselves who, who, who claim to be Christians, who, who go to church, but don't have any evidence of any kind of spiritual transformation in their hearts. Don't show any evidence of sanctification, which absolutely is connected to justification and forgets that James tells us that faith apart from works is a dead faith. Uh, it's not a live faith. So this is some of the empty consolation that's been going on uh, back in Zechariah's day, in Jesus' day, and in our day. Things haven't changed much. There's still diviners who are breathing out you know, false lies. There's false shepherds, and they're giving empty consolation, misdirecting the sheep and leading people astray um, and leading them into affliction. Right? Isn't that what, what Zechariah is saying here? That therefore the people wander like sheep and they are afflicted for lack of a, of a shepherd, lack of a good shepherd. Lack of a faithful shepherd, a true shepherd. And that's why when Jesus comes along and he says that, um, that Matthew records how he went through all the cities and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He's reversing this problem of, of a lack of a good shepherd. You know, when, when there's no shepherd, the people are afflicted. And Jesus comes along and he's healing every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus comes along in fulfillment of Zechariah's uh, concern that there's no good shepherd. And this, this is the, the picture of the Lord uh, who gives the rain, who points us to his true reality. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And this Lord who gives the rain, he gives the rain and he's committed to our flourishing because he cares. He cares about his flock. He, he is the good shepherd. Um, and now let me talk about goats and sheep and steeds. You see these three um, animals referenced here. Uh, the first one is in verse 3, but it's not immediately apparent. Uh, verse 3 says that God's anger is hot against the shepherds, these false shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. Um, the leaders makes more sense to our English ears, uh, but the original language uh, is this word picture of a male goat. Um, I will punish the male goats. Uh, you know, the, the Bible does a lot of, of pictures uh, because we're in a visual age, right? Well, we've always been a visual age. We've just got, you know, technology to utilize it. But the Bible is very visual. Um, and so you read things like this in Proverbs, like a gold ring, uh, and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion, right? Isn't that a fantastic image? Um, and, and here you've got another image. I will punish the male goats. Uh, literally, I will visit with punishment the male goats. These, these um, false teachers, false leaders, false shepherds are no better than a male goat. Um, 
And, uh, and, and God says, I'm going to visit them. So God's going to come against those who utter nonsense and, and, and tell false dreams, those who see lies and give empty consolation. God says his anger is hot against them, which is a little disruptive. This is some of the strong medicine, right? Um, you know, heads up whenever you read that God's anger is hot. Don't dismiss that. I know it's not sort of a popular doctrine to think about God's wrath and stuff, but it, it, God, God cares about what's right and what's wrong. Um, we are made in His image. You and I have an experience of getting angry when, when something happens to somebody that we love, right? Especially if you have kids. Oh my gosh, can you imagine somebody doing something to one of your kids? How would you feel about that? You'd be angry, and you should be angry. Um, our problem is our hearts are so messed up and twisted that we can have a lot of sinful anger, but God doesn't have any sinful anger. Sure enough, he cares about his kids, and he's not indifferent to when his kids are harmed. And so his anger is hot against those who would harm his sheep. And, and Jesus was equally angry uh, because he looked at the sheep, uh, at God's people, and saw that they were harassed and helpless uh, like sheep without a shepherd. And his anger got hot, and we read about it in places like Matthew 23. Um, you read this succession of woes, you know, warnings uh, toward those who were false shepherds. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus is angry about that. We should be angry about that. Anybody that's keeping the kingdom of heaven away from those who are seeking to enter. Um, and Jesus fleshes that out. He adds to it. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, uh, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Right? Another great word image. Uh, so Jesus is saying to stop treating God like a spice rack. <laughs> you know, stop picking and choosing, sort of that coexist mentality. I like a little bit of this and a little bit of that about God, but I don't want all these other things, you know. Like, I don't want God's wrath. I don't, I don't want God's accountability. I don't want any of that stuff. You know, just give me his niceness and his love and, you know, just validate everything I do and all of my choices. That's the kind of God that I want. That's, that's spice rack God. You know, a little bit of oregano, a little bit of thyme, but I don't like cumin and I don't like, oh, you know, cilantro, ooh, any of that. You don't want any of that. Um, that's a false way of viewing God, and Jesus is coming against that very strongly. Those, those who are saying we can pick and choose what we want as we relate to God. Um, God does not have a personality disorder. And we, we can't, you know, say it's, it's valid to worship him this way over here in this religion, but this way that's completely opposed to, you know, what you know, Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists or, you know, whatever, invent your own religion are doing. Um, and, and to say that everybody's worshiping the same God. God is not schizophrenic. And so Jesus is coming very strongly against that idea. You can't have a spice rack religion. Um, and in verse 25, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, uh, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. 
First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean, right? So Jesus is coming against those who are sort of pretending to be good. And you remember that whole be good thing? Don't, don't worry about what you believe. Just be a good person and you'll go to heaven. Well, Jesus is saying being good is not good enough. Because you can adopt all kinds of sets of rules and you can clean up pretty well on the outside but still be a wreck on the inside. Um, kind of like uh, if you've ever gone on vacation and you want to clean up the kitchen, uh, you, you take care of the dishes, you load them in the dishwasher, you shut the door, and then you get distracted and you go load up the car and you do this, that, and the other, and you come back in a week and you open the dishwasher, the stainless steel, beautiful, gleaming, shining dishwasher on the outside, and then you open up that door and you realize, whew, forgot to forgot to turn the dishwasher on before vacation. Uh, and you realize it's nasty in there. And so if anybody were ever to open the gleaming stainless steel door in our lives and see in our hearts, they're going to see a lot of nasty stuff, stuff that we're not proud of. And we don't want other people to see. Um, but yet, Jesus is saying we've got to address what's on the heart, what's in the heart. You can't just be good enough. It's not going to work. Um, and, and, and then last warning, you know, Jesus says, woe to you, uh, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which, again, some overlap between the, the dishwasher, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, you know, when you think about that group that thinks all you've got to do is believe, you can be justified without being sanctified, you can have Jesus as your Savior without, as your Lord, we may claim uh, to have believed in Jesus and have our, our sins forgiven. But we may claim as that we're white as snow, but, you know, if we are still dead on the inside, it doesn't matter how, you know, orthodox your creed is and how thorough your doctrine is. If you still have not been made new on the inside, uh, it doesn't matter. Even the demons have right doctrine. Even the demons know about justification. But they're not sanctified. And if you're not sanctified, I'm not sanctified. If a person hasn't been changed on the inside, if they're, they're still dead. They're, they're the tomb, the whitewashed tomb with dead men's bones on the inside. They were never made new creations. And so if we're honest, we listen to these woes and we go, uh, well, woe is me. Um, don't you? Don't you kind of, do, do any of those hit close to home? Do you ever wrestle with any of those things? Well, gosh, I'm really not sure sometimes about some of the exclusive claims of the Bible or of Jesus. Is Jesus really the only way? I don't know sometimes. Or we, you know, we tend to think, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and we end up in default mode comparing ourselves to other people and thinking, yeah, God's obliged. Of course he's, he's going to think well of me. Look at me. Look at me compared to other people. Or we think, you know, and this is sort of more our, our disease um, here in our, our, our denominational circles and our church circles, is that we've got some stinking good theology. we got our Bibles figured out, and, and that's good enough, but we kind of are indifferent. And, and we're not, we don't share Jesus' heart of compassion uh, for those around us and you know, really embracing some of the love that the gospel calls us to. So God is wanting us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
He wants our hearts to be changed. He wants our minds to be changed. He wants our actions to be changed. This is like a holistic thing. This is a complete renovation. And it touches every point of our lives. And, and so if you're humbled in any way, if you listen to any of those woes and go, man, that's close to home, don't hear those woes as judgments, at least, at least not yet. They will only be pronouncements of judgments on that day. In the meantime, they are warnings. They are kind, loving warnings. Calling us to change. To turn from that which is, a, is nonsense or an empty dream or empty consolation. Don't listen to the false shepherds. Don't listen to the lies and the household gods and the diviners. Listen to Jesus and follow Him. So, This woe, these woes are coming from the mouth of the one who would experience that woe himself. He would would go to a cross and all of the woe uh, for, for those false things would fall on him when he would die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins of thinking that God's a schizophrenic, for our sins of thinking that any of us could measure up. Uh, and, and the pride of thinking that we're better than other people. Uh, for the sin of thinking that all I need to do is believe the right stuff and I'm, God doesn't care if my life has changed or not. Jesus died for all of those sins. And he, he, he took that guilt on himself and the payment is made, the, the, the sins are forgiven for those who truly trust in him, who truly look to him for salvation who truly believe in him and trust that he is our substitute and our representative. Um, I like how Richard Loveless sort of summarizes what the Christian life is. It's not just saying, you know, well, God's whatever. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's not just being a good person and sort of getting your outward stuff together. And it's not just believing the right stuff. Listen to the holistic picture that Richard Loveless gives us. The lifestyle of the kingdom is not proud, but poor in spirit. It's not self-confident, but, but meek and sensitive to conviction of sin. Not self-righteous, but repentant. It's not praise-seeking, but God-obeying, even, even to the point of suffering persecution. Not vengeful, but forgiving. Not ostentatious or laborious in piety, but secretive and simple. Not anxious or acquisitive, but content in serving God. Not judgmental but merciful. If these patterns can be nurtured in the church, they will affect the moral structure of the rest of humanity. That's the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish. That's what he's calling us and enlisting us to be a part of. He calls us his sheep, right? And he cares for us. The reason why his anger is hot against the false shepherds is because he cares for his flock, as the rest of verse 3 says. God cares so much that He wants to call his sheep who hear his voice away from that because he wants our flourishing. He wants us to flourish in relationship with him and relationship with others, and he wants to send us out to help our community to experience renewal. The Lord will visit his flock is really what this this, uh, verse says. It's this parallel between how God's going to visit the false shepherds. He will visit his flock. There will be an accounting. There will be a reckoning. He sees everything. And he cares deeply for his flock. That's why Jesus says in Luke 12, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. 
It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to love you, to warn you, to call you to himself, to call you away from the false shepherds. And the passage continues, the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. He will make them like his majestic steed in battle. Uh, and then listen to the, the four um, things that are listed here, which are actually a, 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 a contrast to the four false you know, views, the lies and the empty dreams and so on. Uh, for from him, from Judah, shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. It's pointing to Jesus. The true cornerstone. Uh, this, this solid tent peg, you know, when people were roaming around in the, uh, these uh, hunting and gathering communities, they needed strong tent pegs or else the wind would blow down their tents. And so you, you wanted a reliable tent peg. Jesus is that reliable tent peg for us. He's the battle bow. He's, he's the one who rules all rulers and, uh, and he is for us. And that they will be, us who are following him, will be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. So, so let's just wrap up with this whole idea of, of talking about goats and sheep and now steeds. And he will make them like his majestic steed in battle. God says through Zechariah that as we follow our king and cornerstone into battle, he's going to put to flight all of the powerful forces, the, the riders on, on horses, right? These, these armies that are aligned against the kingdom of God. He's going to put to flight. He's going to turn to retreat the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, how's he going to do that? We were talking about last, last week, right? That God's calling us to arms. He's calling us to be warriors. And I don't, for a second, want to take away the, the beautiful and biblical imagery of us as God's sheep. Right? We're, we are his sheep. But it's maybe, I don't know if it's possible, but I think it's, I think it's probable that we've, we've sort of majored on one image without regard for some of the other images of God's people in the Bible. You know, we, we are warriors. And here, God's comparing us to steeds. The church is an advancing army, strong for the fight, and, and the imagery is shifting from being called a, a bunch of sheep to a, a cavalry. We are a cavalry from Calvary. Try to say that fast. We are a cavalry from Calvary. And we are galloping as a stampede of steeds. And, and, and God's calling us to be steeds. He's calling us to be men and women who see our whole lives as one of mission, uh, one of advancing the kingdom of God, being a part of what Jesus is doing to, to push back darkness. And so God's made us a part of his kingdom. Uh, and we are living our lives on mission, but few Christians see our, our lives that way. We, we see ourselves as sheep, right? And we are, but we're only sheep as so far as we're supposed to be obedient to the voice of our good shepherd and rely on him and be dependent on him. But just because we're sheep doesn't mean we're supposed to be sheepish, right? Uh, don't, don't take the analogy too far. We're not sheep in every way. We're not supposed to be sheep. A sheep are, are timid and stupid. We're not supposed to be timid and stupid. We're supposed to be strong and courageous. Um, so, you know, sheep have a reputation for not being very bold, uh, and instead Jesus is calling us uh, to be steeds. Um, so here's this mashup of images. I don't, I've never seen a sheep, you know, standing up on its hind legs, 
pawing the, the air with its four legs, uh, you know, bucking. I've never seen a sheep, um, uh, or, or reading back, I've never seen a sheep bucking and kicking. I've never seen a sheep, you know, charging into battle. And yet, that's exactly what we're called to be, um, is this, this cavalry from Calvary. Uh, and then that's why when Jesus is calling us to follow him, he's calling us to follow him as he advances his kingdom. And that's a, that's a picture of sanctification. It's a picture of the change that he's making in us. There will be real signs of the kingdom advancement in us and through us. If we're following Jesus, if we're loving him and relying on him, that can't help but happen because he's leading us into battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There will, of course, be weakness. Uh, there will, of course, uh, be losses. Nobody does this perfectly. But there will be real signs of victory. There will be real signs of progress in every healthy Christian and in every healthy church. There will be progress in sanctification. There will be healing of broken relationships. There will be compassion for the lost and the hurting. And Leslie Newbigin put it this way. Uh, he was a, ministry, uh, a missionary in India. And he said, if we preach that in Jesus the reign of God has begun... Men must see some signs of that reign. They must see at least some evidence that the power of Jesus is still available to measure its strength against wickedness and oppression, against the demonic powers that make men behave like devils. And if that power is at work in you, people will see a difference in you and in me. They're going to see something that's a bit, you know, inconsistent. I get it. We stumble, we scrape our spiritual knees, but we get back up. We repent and we keep following Jesus as he's advancing his kingdom. The problem is when people don't see any of that power in us. I think we have to ask ourselves an honest question. If there's no power in you, if there's no advancement in you, if there's no kingdom progress in you, you have to wonder, am I just sort of thinking that all I have to do is believe? I've forgotten that there's such a thing as sanctification. Has God really, truly changed my heart? Good news. He's eager to. He loves you. He cares for you. Come to him. Ask him, break my heart, O oh God. Change my heart. Let me have the compassion that Jesus has for the lost. Let me have the the concern that Jesus has for those on the outside. Let me love you the way that you love me and let me enter into that true relationship rather than just kind of spouting off you know, creeds. Jesus loves his church. He's a good shepherd. He loves us enough to warn us, but he's a good, loving, kind shepherd. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, thank you for calling us your own. Thank you for calling us out of darkness. Um, there's some strong medicine in, in this calling, and so we do pray that you would help us to heed that call and to not uh, fall asleep or, or, or succumb to the false dreams and the lies of this age that say that it doesn't matter what we believe or it doesn't matter if we believe or it doesn't matter if we're good. Or, uh, those things do matter. Lord, you, you want to change every part of us, and so we do pray that you would move us uh, from being autonomous to being sheep, that you would move us from being sheepish to being steeds, uh, that you would move us from darkness to light. 
Lord, please use us as you advance your kingdom, as you do good and glorious things on this earth. We want to be a part of that renewal and that restoration. We look forward uh, to when you renew everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.